0: Okay, I teased this a couple days ago. What are the like first core foundational things you need to nail down in your firm before you do any of the bigger, more ambitious stuff? Uh, you know, when somebody says, oh, you shouldn't be working on that because you haven't even nailed down this like core thing. I'm going to outline what I, right now are like my six most corest things that everyone should work on. It might take years to nail those things down. I was in the thick of them, but they are central to your firm and the most important things for you to work Come on in, let's do it. Let's upgrade that firm of yours. Every accounting think person's gonna have their own perspective on what these core things are. And admittedly for them, they've changed quite a bit over time. But people are always asking me for advice on what to do next or what to prioritize. And so I would like to put this out and I'll probably do a main channel video about this at some point. Maybe I'll refine it a little more. I would like to put out kind of what are my foundational things that I think probably two thirds of firms haven't nailed down that will lead to running a profitable, uh, scalable if you want practice where like, you need to nail these things first before you do all the other frivolities. So here we go building this kind of as an asset to myself that I can point people to, to say, go do all this stuff first and then talk to me. All right. Number one, your firm needs to be built atop one of the core tools that we've talked about in the last couple of weeks. Did a main channel video about it. There are 17 tools right now that if you run a firm under 100 employees, one of those 17 tools needs to be at the core of your firm in order to enable running a firm the right way today. And there are some notable tools not on that list. Probably most notably, the practice, management systems from US tax vendors. But very often I see your firm tech stack is a hodgepodge of a bunch of different things because the tool at the center of it is not the right tool. To reiterate what those tools are again, XPM, Arrow, Pixie, Lycio, Senta, which I think now actually goes by a different name, Count, Mango, Carbon, Keeper, Co-Pilot, Jetpack, Canopy, Firm 360, Elephant, Tax Dome, Client Hub, Financial Sense. Now, that is a lot of tools, a lot of potential tools, but the majority of firms under 100 employees are still not running on one of those tools. Biggest culprits are spreadsheets. You're still running your firm on a spreadsheet and the tools from the tax practice like the tools from the tax suites, which, you know, I've spent the majority of my time the last three, four years talking with other people running firms. There is nothing more valid to me than the proof of someone's experience having used several different tools. I get the resistance to changing off the tool if you're on the wrong tool, but what has led me to this level of conviction is the number of people I've talked with who have gone to one of these tools and been like, I will never go back. It's fundamentally a better approach. So what I, do I wish that was more specific than 17 tools? I do. But for firms under 100 employees, like straight off the top, that's probably half of firms that I don't think are on one of the right tools. So first, that like the core tool at the center of your center of your business has to be the right one. Second, you need to be leaning into client requests in a proactive and automated way. So client requests, kind of my definition is explicitly outlining exactly all the information and all the documents that you need from a client ahead of time and then especially in the case of recurring requests you are staging those to go out automatically so a few examples so you run an accounting practice you do a month end close for a client that means if you need information from a client for the month end close, you're either staging those requests to ping the client automatically on the first of the month, or in some situations, even earlier than that, let's say you need them to send you a credit card statement for some reason, and the close of that is on the 22nd, Man, on the 23rd, an automated request goes to the client asking for that thing, we are spending way too much time getting to the 10th of the month when you have to deliver the financials by the 12th, then you realize on the 10th, crap, I don't have half the information that I need to actually do this close. That is where client requests come in, we need to shift to the paradigm of software managing requests and humans doing the other stuff that falls through the cracks. If you run a firm where humans make all of the requests, it builds a bunch of strain into the relationship around just sending a document from A to B. And it really devalues that human communication. So value of requests is you can schedule them ahead of time and they will then auto follow up for you. If you run a tax practice, This is massive. Speaking from experience here, I would argue that in your busiest season, if you're a traditional tax practice that is not leaning into requests. Your team is probably burning a third of their time building during the busiest season, custom request lists for clients, and then following up on those request lists for the things that they haven't been provided with. And then just figuring out what they have and what they don't have. Like we we massively underestimate just how much of a project it is to over and over again, build it for a client, a custom list of what's needed. They get you some of those things. Three weeks later, realize they haven't gotten you everything you need. You go back and check all Of your channels to see have they given us these other things that we still need you follow up again and honestly that becomes your job across hundreds of clients you are wasting a massive amount of time on this task as opposed to before you get into your busiest season and your slowest season you stage everything that you're going to need. Now, is that time consuming? It absolutely is. And if you have junior team members, this is a great way to put them to work during your slowest season. But you are trading time in your busiest season for time in your slowest season. And I would argue a much better client experience because they can come to one place and see a live updating list of all of the things that you actually need. Then when you are in your busiest season, you don't have to do any following up with people for these things. If there's new things that you now need to request, great, add them to the list. And the system is then going to auto remind them until they provide those documents. Now, be forewarned, implementing this in your firm will massively increase the rate at which that information comes in so unless you have some sort of planning mechanism for if everybody gave and this is the analogy i already i always give around the value of scheduling tax work if last year it took me until october 15th to get all of our tax projects in and then next year all of my clients gave me all of their info on february 1st it would still take me until october 15th to get that work done they're there about maybe it's a little shorter But just be aware, this will make clients give you their info way earlier because you have uh, your portal system or whatever you use auto reminding clients. So you got to have a plan for that. But if you also put a bunch of clients on extension, you could just have those reminders and notifications not go out until future dates, schedule them in client blocks month by month, maybe that sort of thing. But what you're getting away from is all of the work of just figuring out what you need from someone in your busiest season. Frankly, that's what 99% of tax firms still do today. But it's consuming a massive amount of time and energy from your most skilled and like time limited staff in your busiest seasons. So in your slow season, you're building out those requests for all of your clients and then deciding at what time to release them. Then clients are auto reminded. Now it's not completely perfect. There will be some new things that you need to gather. I acknowledge that, but it's better than doing a hundred percent of the work in your busiest season, which is what we do now. Okay. That is item number two. You need to be leaning into client requests in a big way. Let the machines do the requesting of things. Let the humans do everything else. All the coordinating of things with clients. Third You are pricing your projects upfront and at the very least taking payment information at the time that you engage a client. So the traditional approach here, and this was kind of the environment I came of age in, was you talk with the client, you're going to do the work at some point, hopefully you get them to sign the engagement letter. And then at the end of the month, when you finish the work, partner sits down, hopefully and goes through the hours and bills the whip or, you know, adjusts it and bills something out. I think that's probably still the traditional process for a lot of firms. I walked a firm of 2000 clients that I own from this process to all upfront billing, it absolutely can be done. But the bare minimum here is you need to communicate to clients what that price is going to be ahead of time so that you don't end up in a situation where you've done a bunch of work that they don't now want to pay for. But then also you need to get the payment details so that on the completion of the project, you can pull those funds. Completely eliminates AR, the entire function of chasing people down for money. And so the biggest pushbacks here, well, I don't know how much work it's going to be until I do the work. And this is usually around tax work or accounting cleanup work. This episode is sponsored in part by the fine folks at Cloud Accountant Staffing. Do you hire accountants? Bless your little heart. Uh, Not the best part of the job, in my opinion. Not something I ever enjoyed. Well, listen, you can build your accounting dream team with talented offshore accountants in the Philippines that work 100% full-time for your firm. Their accountants aren't freelancing or contracting for multiple firms, they're all yours. They work exclusively for you and are incentivized to stay with you and your team long-term. They're not gonna get swiped. Cloud account staffing is 100% dedicated to the accounting industry and founded by a former accounting firm owner that understands your business, knows your pain points. They had to hire some accountants and they said, you know what, we're gonna build our own pipeline in the Philippines, gonna pull in some super talented people and then open that up to other firms. Basically, that's the story. I've uh, been talking about a lot about staffing, building more resilient staffing pipelines for your firms. I, I had staff in the Philippines, I, like totally red-pilled me to like, oh, geez, like we need to globalize the way that we get our work done. Uh, check these folks out. Link in the show description, cloudaccountantstaffing.com. Hey, this episode is sponsored in part by Canopy, the practice management system. Canopy unlocks the firm that you always wanted. Think about it. Think about it, close your eyes, lean back in that chair. What is the firm that you always wanted? Oh wait, Canopy unlocks it. And they do this by unclunking accounting firms with an end-to-end solution that makes your tech stack feel a little less stacky. Putting our customers first with world-class user experience, support, education, and innovation rooted in customer feedback, working and working well anywhere and for any size or type of firm, wherever you are now and wherever you're going. Multiplying your efforts so your practice requires less proverbial midnight oil. You know, I, sidebar, if you go to the conferences, Canopy's got like, they always do some like really good little like sorta, you know, the stuff that they use to like trick you to come into coming to the booth. Well, this year they've had like Legos out there, maybe. Maybe you double down on the midnight oil thing, you know, maybe like uh, give away a little, little, uh, you know, little actual midnight oil. I guess it would need to burn too, but that one's free. I think it's a good idea. Delighting your clients with a modern, easy to use portal that helps you get the info you need when you need it. That is Canopy. Check out the link in the show notes to learn more. It is okay to give a range. What you want is something specific enough that the client will agree to it, given a Fixed set of scope so that at the end of the project, most of the time you'll be able to auto-bill for it. And so on my firm, when we shifted the paradigm from everybody manually billing after the fact to auto-billing most times, we were trading the time of the partners who were sitting down and billing, sending out thousands of invoices every single month. We were trading that for an agreement across the firm where unless that project was beyond X threshold of what we expected it to be in budgeted time or whip or whatever you want to call it, then it got auto billed. So we set this percentage, I remember what it was, 30%, 30% or something like that, or 130%. And in over 90% of cases, it enabled us to automatically invoice that immediately at the end of the project, not the following month, whenever the partner got around to billing, but immediately invoice that at the end of the project and pull the funds right away. Because that's what the clients are agreeing to is they're agreeing to pay this amount or this range of amount for you to do this work. And then in the end, they've already agreed to it. You pull the funds. So there is no invoicing function anymore. There is no them being bent out of shape by how much money it is and being unwilling to pay the bill or them not paying it until they want you to do the next project. And then they pay the bill for the last project so that you'll do the next one. It takes all of that out of the picture. Now, some firms go further and they'll take payment up front or they'll take half up front, half at the end totally fine. But the bare minimum for me is that you are proposing a price up front, giving a fixed set of scope. When I did tax work, that was basically saying, as long as the scope of the work is more or less what it was last year, this is what where we'll be. If it increased, fine. I actually sent them an updated proposal for them to agree to saying the scope changed because of X, Y, Z, but 80% of the time that was totally fine. So bare minimum for me proposing that price or a price range up front and to taking payment information up front. And the first year is the hardest one because they have to actually add it It gets way easier after that because their payment methods already in there. All you got to do is accept. And then once you have those two things for your 90% of projects that didn't fall way outside the boundaries of what you expected there. You can auto bill. There's no invoicing at all. Now, a big unlock for me that helped me be okay with the lack of granularity in this process. Because when you bill hourly, you can be like, ah, they wasted all this time. And like, it feels more specific to each client than a broad brushstroke approach like this, where you're like, yeah, we're just going to bill it out as long as it's not 30% over what we expected. Big unlock for me here was to think, of the business bigger picture in terms of client portfolios. If I can save you a whole pile of time by not having to do all this invoicing and not have to have your admins do all this work and you manual bill, and we don't fixate quite so much on dialing in every single invoice when it goes up and down every single year, but the profit's the same in both scenarios, I think you're probably going to be just fine with that. So if you think about the business as a whole, optimizing for the same level of overall profit, that is how I just kind of got over the, well, that not that going to be unfair to one person? And then another person's going to get a deal. I had to kind of open my mind to the needs of the business. And what the business needed was more of my time, which should not be sunk into me putting a whole bunch of effort into manually billing stuff. So that is my third kind of foundational thing that your firm needs. You gotta propose pricing up front and take payment details at that point in time when you're engaging. Fourth, you need to have a plan for managing fulfillment, that is how you get the work done in a more scalable way. I did an episode on this on the podcast, put a link to it in the show notes, maybe put it up on the end card at the end of this if you're watching on YouTube also. We need to diversify how we get work done beyond the traditional part-time, full-time, onshore, like, hiring. If the only way that you get work done is with your staff, there is no flexibility when something goes sideways. You are generally going to be one person away from a crisis. I can tell you for me, that was the very worst part of running an accounting firm was the fact that stuff's going to happen. It doesn't matter how great of an employer I am. These people have lives, things will happen. They have spouses, life circumstances will change. And the bigger my firm got, we had a team just over 40 people, the more it multiplied my surface area for something to go sideways and it completely ruined my month. And I'm of the opinion, as long as you are completely reliant upon one way of getting the work done, one methodology for fulfillment, you have no flexibility when something goes sideways. And so I'm an advocate, of actually diversifying across a number of different methods for fulfillment. Full-time hiring onshore should still be a thing. Absolutely. Part-time hiring, pulling in people uh, maybe seasonally, but having several part-time people that you can delegate work out to. When one of those people leaves or you can't keep throwing projects at them, great. You've got several other that you can distribute that work across. This is especially hard for small firms where the risk is extremely concentrated on a small number of team members. Worst of all, you. We don't think about ourselves in this situation. We just like think we're just gonna always be able to do whatever it takes to get the work done. But if you get sick or something like that, you gotta have a plan that's gonna ensure you're not gonna lose your business overnight. So full-time and part-time onshore hiring. I think you need to look at outsourced groups. Doesn't matter if they're onshore, doesn't matter if they're offshore. Outsourced groups, you pay for an outcome. You're paying them for a tax return or you're paying them for a month end close. And their job and what you're paying them for is to oversee the staffing and the quality of the work and how it gets done. And doesn't it sound good to delegate the responsibility of people management of what to do when a person leaves to someone else? I can tell you. Yes, it feels really good. And I paid a really happy premium to delegate that stressor to someone else. So that is the third methodology to fulfillment. Fourth is building an offshore team. This was one of the biggest unlocks that I had, I think it is an especially American limitation to think that an offshore person is somehow not going to be able to do something at the level of our onshore people. There's certain functions that you're probably never gonna delegate to offshore people. And so that is, you know, client relationship management, hopping on the phone with the client, going out to coffee, that sort of thing. Probably always gonna be managed by your onshore team. But we uh, kind of assume that the menial tasks are the things that will go to the offshore team when that's absolutely not the case. I know firms who, whose most technical, most experienced people are offshore team members. So, client relations aside, there is nothing that your firm does that an offshore team member cannot do. And there's a ton of ways to do this from near shore and like Central America, South America to India and the Philippines. You can get people with any level of expertise. I and you have offices from big four with thousands of people in all of these locations that are every bit as capable as onshore people. And for me, I could go out consistently and hire offshore really, really talented, really motivated people at the drop of a hat in a way that I couldn't onshore. And this fundamentally changed how I approached Fulfillment. It meant that my onshore team members handled much more of the client relations. I looked for people who uh, really drew satisfaction from that and being the problem solvers and building the relationships with those business owners because we leaned into offshore hiring for getting the work done because those people were much harder to find. Now, US tax people, I know you're already wringing your hands over 7216. And I will tell you the really easy thing to do here is to say, my clients would never go. For that, you and every everybody else's clients like this, just I mean, that's that's the reality. But I think the more educated you are about how this stuff works, about managing 7216 disclosures, the less intimidating it gets. 7216 disclosure is not a reason to not do it. It is a reason to disclose. At the end of the day, who's accountable for the output? Like, is it going to be any worse? If you hire a junior onshore person tomorrow who's not as good as the other prep people that you have, is the quality going to be any worse? No, the output needs to be the exact same. You are ultimately responsible for it. And that's all that matters in my mind. So those are four different ways to diversify your fulfillment. You need to have a plan. At any given point in time, what, pers- what happens if this person can no longer work, including yourself? You need to have a plan. Most firms don't. I didn't do a good enough job about this. And it was the very worst part of running a firm, honestly. Again, I did a whole episode on this. That is the fourth thing that I think you need to have nailed down. Two more things to go. This episode, believe it or not, it is sponsored in part by the fine folks at Firm 360. You know what's better than anything else? Because you can't, you don't know how to make sense of this ad, right? Like, how do I know this better than any other tool that I'm using? How do I cut through the fluff? I'll tell you what's the ultimate validation. Social proof. When your friends like Yo, that stuff's for real. It's the best. That's what I look for, right? So let me show you some social proof on Firm360, who has a shocking, shocking number of five star reviews. How about this one from Kelly? Great project management software that allows seamless communication with coworkers and clients, think about that. Do you have seams right now? Are there seams in your communication? I bet there are. How about Brandon? This one in June of 23, Wow, we Just an amazing company to do business with. With their firm management software and assistance, we have streamlined more of our processes and become more efficient and profitable. Every other firm management software we researched and demoed seemed to be lacking for accountants until we found firm 360, which is not surprising since accountants are the ones who founded the company. True story, Cherith and know the needs of accounting firms. Every month we get updates and in the year we've been with them, they've adapted and evolved their software as well as they listen to their customers. Okay, Brandon, why don't you do the ad read? That's it, that's the end of the ad read. That was better than anything I had written. Learn more about Firm360 in the link in the show notes. This episode is sponsored in part by Copilot, modern accounting firms, Let me tell you, they run on Copilot. Differentiate your firm with a secure portal that gives your clients a one-stop shop to upload files, sign contracts, send messages, access dashboards, all that and more. You know what your clients don't enjoy? Is hopping all around to all your different tools, logging into this magic, magic, you know what I'm saying, magic email linking into this other doodad. And every little thing they pop into, it's got a different vibe. They're not sure, did I just get this from my accountant or somebody who doesn't mean me well? Let me tell you, gang, that is where Copilot comes in clutch because you can put all that stuff in one place. They sign into a single place. That's the only place you're ever going to ask them to go. And it's a consistent experience. They know they're getting that stuff from you. They're not getting bamboozled by, by somebody that's posing as you. That's why Copilot was built from the ground up to be not just a portal system, but a platform to build whatever you want on top of it. So you've got a single streamlined client interface that does everything, everything you need to do. Uh, Learn more about Copilot. Check out the link in the show notes fifth, you got to have a plan to manage cyclicality. There's a lot of firms right now that are crippled by how cyclical they are. On the accounting side, that looks like turning around financial statements in an unrealistic time frame. If you've got 100 clients and you've promised them all that you will get them their books by the 10th of the month, good luck building a profitable business around that that doesn't just drive you nuts. Speaking from experience, on the tax side, if you're letting anyone and everyone come and bring their info in in tax season with the expectation that you're going to get it done in tax season, you just setting your up for a lot of heartbreak. I've done a number of videos for tax firms on my main channel about how to beat down this cyclicality through a combination of tax planning, but ultimately through scheduling your work. For tax firms on the hierarchy of worst to best, the very worst thing you can do is just Set the expectation that you'll do the work when people bring it into you, which in any other business, it would just be nuts. If you're a manufacturing plant, you just let people walk in the door with whatever they want and say, yeah, no, we're somehow going to still ensure delivery within a reasonable time frame." Like this is where stuff falls apart. If you don't have control over how the stuff comes in, you can't reasonably promise a realistic delivery date. Next best thing, giving everybody a deadline to say you have to have your stuff in by this day in order to get your work back by X deadline. It's better than nothing, but at its worst can be even worse because the example I gave you earlier, if you gave everyone the deadline of March 15th to get their work done by 15th and every single client brought you their work by March 15th, but you're not getting all that done by 4.15. So at that point, you still don't have control of how much is coming in. The only solution is taking that engagement by the wheel and telling the client, Here's what we're going to do at every point during the year. Here's when we're doing tax planning. Here's when you're going to get your info for me. And here's when your tax return is going to go out. You are the tax advisor. You're taking control of that. And so that could be organizing clients into groups. You got a group that goes out in May, a group that goes out in June, a group that goes out in July. And there's a lot of self-limiting reasons for why we don't think that we can do this. When most of the time, the client just wants to know that somebody's behind the wheel, thinking of them, like doing things that are going to be the best for them strategically. And oftentimes waiting as long as possible to file is the best thing you can do strategically so where this is normally really hard is when you've set the precedent that there isn't a plan you haven't taken the calendar year by the wheel and said this is what we're going to do if you haven't done that that's probably why it's hard to think of getting clients to a more rigid place but you can walk your clients your existing clients into that and remember every new client you add you are crafting a new reality for that does not have to be subject to the way that you used to do things so you could stand up a landing page tomorrow that said, we just don't file tax returns before 4.15. Sorry, like we just don't. And that's just the rule. And clients will come in and maybe you'll lose a few, but they'll be like, okay. And as long as you've given them a compelling reason to work with you, that's totally fine. They don't know anything different, right? So you have to take that schedule by the wheel and manage that cyclicality. For an accounting practice, it's really hard to resist the urge to over-deliver and wanna get them everything within a super fast time frame. Because if you look at any single engagement in a vacuum, yeah, sure, why couldn't that be done by the fifth of the month? But if you extend that, that, to your entire client base, everything can't be done by the fifth of the month. That's the reality. So you got to find what that relief valve is. For me, I genuinely made people pay way more if they wanted it really early in the month. I just had to, I mean, I leveled with them and said, hey, we can only work on so much stuff at the beginning of every single month. We're doing the best that we can. If you want to be at the front of the line, you're just going to pay more to be there. On the flip side, there were other people, honestly, that I don't know that I ever gave them a discount, like explicitly, but I knew they didn't want to pay as much. And so in the proposal, I would say like, yep, we'll have you done by the 20th or the 25th of the month. Now, most of the productized services like your benches, your QuickBooks, live bookkeeping, stuff like that, standard delivery time frame is like the 25th of the following month. So you got to build that business in a way that's going to be balanced out. If you don't want to make that compromise, then you got to find a different kind of work that will keep you busy the latter half of the month. And that's also a possibility. Maybe that's when you're doing advisory. Maybe that's when you're doing more kind of like document management or more back office sort of stuff. And just part of that cyclicality is the month end close happens at the front end of the month. And all this other work that we also get paid for happens at the back end of the month. That's okay, too. But if all you're selling is month end closes, you just got to make sure that stuff isn't too front weighted. Sixth, And last, you need to have branding and a landing page built around a single offer at a time for a very specific type of person. If you go out to your website right now and it says, hey, I'm Steve, I do accounting. Uh, Here's some stock photos. Here's how to get in touch. That website is speaking to no one in particular. And the fear that we have is that as soon as I say, hey, I'm Steve, I'm an accountant. I'm an accountant and I work with badminton professionals. Then you're like, what about all the people that come to the website that aren't badminton professionals? I get that. But I can tell you right now, everybody that's coming to your Page just doesn't speak to me. So your options are genuinely speak to no one or speak really, really well to someone. And I've given this example a number of times now, but the more specific type of person you speak to, and maybe this will be a helpful unlock for you, the more they will pay for what you do. So in addition to the generic page just not converting, when it is for a specific person, it converts at a higher, like multiple price. So you actually don't need as many clients. Now we all got to start somewhere. And I get that we're not all there right now. And you may not even know how to make that super specific, but always be thinking, here's my practice today. What's the slightly better version I could start building for tomorrow. And that may be having a second landing page and maybe changing that landing page tomorrow to that more specific thing to get your next client. That'll be two or three times as profitable as any of the other ones you have so that you just traded that one client for like four or five legacy clients. Now I've done a bunch of content on this the last few weeks, how to build your firm around an offer. That is not ongoing tax and accounting. That is, here's a really painful problem for a specific person, for badminton professionals. The multi-state issues, the travel costs that come with traveling around the country for your professional badminton matches. What about the stuff that happens internationally? How do you organize all of that? I can help you with that because I'm not just a tax pro. I'm a tax pro for badminton professionals that make over X dollars a year who are too busy to figure this out themselves. That is price increase, price increase, price increase, price increase, increase, every step along that spectrum of specificity. And in the end, you're at a price that's like 6x what you charged for generic tax work or accounting work, whatever you want to call it. And it means that one of those clients will generate the same profit as like 8 to 10 generic clients who are coming in at a price that they're going to benchmark against every other potential provider, right? Because who else is serving busy professional badminton players? So I get the fear of the exclusivity thing. And I, I can even see, you know, in a vacuum, you're like, yeah, no, I get it, like in a vacuum, that's the best way to run a practice, but that's not the practice I have today. That's okay. Every practice starts with one client, with one better engagement. And at any given point in time, that client list is probably gonna be a big, ugly, mixed family of a whole bunch of different ideas you had in different stages of your firm running. That's fine. What you need to do is ensure that the next client you bring in is awesome. Just boil it down to that. What's the next great client you could bring in at a higher price where for doing the largely the same work You can make much more money serving them. That's it. Just go do that. It's as simple as that, gang. That is six things. But like, honestly, for a firm in transition, that's probably years of work. I'm realistic about that. But of all the things you can do from dialing in this and dialing in that for me, like right now, those are probably my six biggest core things. I can honestly say I ran firms up until the end of last year. I don't think I ever had a firm that nailed all six of those things. So it's a project, but at a certain point we got to focus right on what's the most meaningful thing to do next in my firm. That's my list of six things to be working on. The six most important core things that will ensure that you can do this stuff sustainably and make a reasonably good amount of money doing it. What do you think? Any biggies that I missed? Anything that you would have on that list? Any success stories you have with leaning into the one of those six things in a meaningful way? Love to see them in the comments. And thanks for coming and hanging today.